Okay. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, yeah. Yes, okay. That's that's an important point to recognize. Um, there, there is a great deal of joy that comes when we finally figure it out and we know that we've got it figured out. But often that figuring it out is not intellectually understanding it. In other words, uh, in a particular artist thing, let us talk about it as a as a carpenter, or it could be anything even like bricklaying. And the student comes and watches the old master carpenter take a turn with the wood, you know, with his uh, with his plane, and he'll turn it or shave it in a certain way or use the chisels in a certain way and come up with a very beautiful product. And the student sees that happening and he says, yeah, I got it. I know what's going on. And yet when he does it, it doesn't seem to quite fit exactly right the, the first time or whatever like this. And so now we can begin to understand that. The in our practice, a lot of students want to have that intellectual understanding. And that uh, a good place that you can see that is in what you would call Buddhist scholarship. OK, where uh, they want to know and want to know more and more and they'll read this sutta and they'll read the next sutta and they'll read this book and they'll go visit that guru and they keep looking and wanting more and more and more data. Which is basically like the student in the. Um, uh, in the carpenter shed, wanting to know every tool and how it's used and all of that kind of stuff, but they really haven't learned how to do much of anything yet. We just want a lot of knowledge, thinking that if we can knowledge our way into skill development. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and there, the other way though is that um, there we don't need to know a lot. We only need to know just enough. Just enough for correct practice. And this is an important point because a lot of students say um, uh, uh, not not just in the sense of calling me because there's good opportunity. I do a lot of repetition and over and over again to get what we do need to go deep as opposed to 10,000 different things and there are 10,000 different stories or 10,000 different suttas. There's a hundred thousands of books. Um, there's there's already enough that's written, but we we get into the idea that uh, and then in fact we are trained that way. Uh, a good example in, uh, I don't know how it's done in France, but in the United States, the way that they teach mathematics is almost guaranteed for the kids to not be very good at math. Yeah. And they give it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and then make them really, really get to that part, like arithmetic year after year after year of arithmetic. When in fact, uh, some very interesting things can get done. 
that a way of looking at it, in fact, that calculus could be taught in the fourth and in the fifth grades and the students can get it because they're getting it uh, a little bit at a time. We can add geometry and calculus and, and um, uh, algebra right along the way. But in our culture, no, it is you've got to get five, six, seven years of arithmetic before we give you any algebra. And then it's algebra, algebra, algebra for years before we give you any uh, more stuff. That's the way that it's kind of taught. And that gives us always the idea that we're not getting enough. There's more to this than that. They're holding out on us. It's like a craving, I, right? You always uh, yeah, it becomes this, a craving. Always uh, craving more information, and and it was yesterday I was listening to uh, one of your talks with some students. I think it was a sangha call, and you said uh, something on the line of um, you said you said uh, you already know how to be happy, <laughs> like you don't need more information. And I was like, oh, right, I'm I'm clearly uh, listening a bit. <laughs> too much talks like I know how to do it I need yeah. to practice yeah. every <laughs> every child knows how to be happy our children are born happy and we beat it out of them and then some of them will say well how can I be happy the answer is you were happy before you were unhappy <laughs> you already know how to be happy ah so we already have just enough and we don't need too much uh, piling on of more and more and more information that there are certain subtleties that we can look into but we could basically say that well they're not so much subtleties as is that it's the way that the student asks the question but it's always back to the same thing you can ask the question from this side and from that side and from under and from over and all around and we can address it from that but basically, we're all pointing to the same thing, which is, don't worry, be happy. There's really not much to it. It's the opposite of uh, piling up and gathering stuff, mm -hmm. just letting go. So it's, uh, yeah. Right. In fact, that's exactly correct, that in all the religions that I know of, um, it's an additive thing, just like all of our culture. The banker is a better banker because he's got more money. More, yeah. yeah. That a religious leader is more religious because he's got more religion. Mm -hmm. um, and so we think that there's more and more and more to get. And so the Westerners then come to uh, the teaching of the Buddha with that idea, and they want more and more and more. They want more attainment. They want more joy. They want more of this and more of that and more knowledge, et cetera, like that. And to recognize that really there's only we need just a little, just a little dab will do us. And that if we're taking that and practicing it correctly, we'll be okay. That in fact, that happened to me when I was learning to play the piano as a child, that I was never satisfied with the music that the teachers would give me. I would want to practice the stuff that the older kids were practicing. And because of that, I wasn't learning the basics that I needed to learn from the simpler music. 
and I see that that happens often with meditation students is that they want more data and more data and more data to in fact just enough. Well, what is that just enough? Well, it's the Eightfold Noble Path. That's all we need. If we would practice the Eightfold Noble Path the way that it's specified in the suttas, we wouldn't need any other sutta. I think the reason that I uh, talk to the students so much about um, all the various suttas is because I spent all that time researching because I thought I was missing something and I needed to do it. So now all I've got is just a bunch of extra knowledge that I don't need. When the when I need to make sure that I make I'm at least teaching them the basics that they do need. Because if you've got the basics, that's really all we need. Yeah. And that is just to get the mind, but for work and then take a look at what's going on. And in fact, getting the mind fit for work is looking at what's going on. So basically, that's the whole practice is just look at what's going on. Yeah, well, that makes sense because you're looking uh, about the, the thoughts you're having and uh, how you, uh, you're judging your emotions or maybe uh, the circumstances and how this is affecting your mood, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like these breaths or like, I don't know enough. <laughs> and if you can catch them, you kind of understand. Um, is this how how this works? Like you kind of understand what you're doing, what's happening, and what's causing you. Uh... Uh, yes, exactly. I would go then so far as to say, all right, that the one knowledge that the students need above all other knowledge that we don't get, that we look at all the details, to where in fact. There is only one real knowledge that we need. And what is that? The knowledge of dukkha. Okay, it goes like this. Imagine then in that regard that we walk into the kitchen uh, in a new kitchen that we've never been to before. And we uh, just haphazardly we're just leaning against uh, a counter or a surface. And it turns out to be one of these newfangled stoves that's red hot but we can't see it. We put our hand right on that that burner. Okay. Yeah. Now that we burned our hand, we pull our hand back. I do not have to examine every little crease and every little finger for every little burn mark. But the real thing that I need to know is don't put your hand on a in the fire. <laughs> mm. Yeah, check the, <laughs> check the that's the that's what we need to learn is fire is hot. Don't put your hand in the fire and you need to look uh, to recognize various kinds of fires. This is a new kind of fire that we've learned is hot. Don't put your hand in it. OK, so dukkha is like that. It's like fire, but it appears in many, many different forms. But it, the only thing that we really need to do then is develop the skill of recognizing dukkha. Because we've already now began to understand that dukkha is to be avoided. That I don't have to go dig into the dukkha to find out that it's hot. And that seems to be the mistake that they make in the Mahasi method is the students are supposed to dig into the dukkha deep enough that they find that it's hot. And the answer is it was hot all along. Wakey, wakey. <laughs> yeah. It was already hot. And but how uh, 
so you have to know it for uh, you have to know the Docker for so so you can see when it comes and that you're doing the this uh, mental process that's uh, leading to uh, suffering mm -hmm. or like um, and unhappiness and satisfaction. Uh, but sometimes, um, for example, during the retreats, I knew uh, what uh, I mean. At some point, I knew. Sometimes I didn't, but I kind of knew like I was wanting something, and that was making me suffer. Um, but at one point, my mind was tired, and how does this uh, tired mind affect uh, the dukkha? Because I, I had all the knowledge I needed, but uh, at some point, I think I maybe had some blind spot, and uh, this was enough for like uh, this uh, mental process to to start, or maybe I didn't see it. Um, well, there is here's, this, uh, yeah. here's an interesting thing about the tiredness is, is that if you are tired and you recognize that you're tired, then you can do something about it. But if you're tired and you don't like the tiredness and you don't want to be tired, then you will stay in a, a situation that may be dangerous. In fact, mm -hmm. driving while we're tired, driving a car while we're tired is a very, very foolish, dangerous thing to do. I know I've done it and I've sat there saying, well, I've got to get up to Greensboro. I'm going to be able to make it. And the next thing I know, the car is whirling. And that's when I say, no, I have yeah. to recognize <laughs> the mind is tired and it is dangerous. To continue on okay so here's what happens in the meditation retreats is that you're doing something new and doing it over and over again and the mind is naturally going to get tired because it's doing something that's never done before and we don't then know we can't see that a tired mind is prone to dukkha it's dangerous all right if we could see that the tiredness was prone then we would say, well, let me take a break. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Let me go ahead and take a break. Let me lay down and take a nap or do whatever I need to do so that I can gain that um, uh, fitness back and do away with the tiredness. But if I leave it and ignore it and want it to go away, it's, it's not, it's going to remain dangerous. It's so, ignorance about how the, the mind works, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe a denial. <laughs> yeah. And yet, when we go to these meditation retreats, we're supposed, we, we say, oh, well, I'm supposed to follow the rules. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. And they told me that I'm supposed to do this, and they didn't mention what to do when the mind got tired. So that means that the mind's not supposed to be tired, and I'm supposed to sit here and practice while the mind is tired. Well, guess what? A mind is tired in meditation is just as likely to go into the ditch as the car is when you're sleepy and tired behind a wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's the way to then begin to look at it is, is that we need to do something about that tiredness and seeing it for what it is and recognize that it's dangerous to try to do something while we're tired. And then so take a break. 
Go take take a walk. The Buddha actually has a whole list of things that we can do, including rubbing our face, rubbing our arms, taking deep, deep breaths, standing up and walking. And above all, if none of that works and we're still tired, go take a nap. The Buddha actually recommends that. But the meditation retreat leaders won't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they say, oh, you're supposed to be in here practicing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I just yeah wanted to see how the tiredness could, uh, but uh, yeah that makes sense because when you're tired you're trying to you go from gladdening uh, the mind trying to fix the mind and yeah. <laughs> and when and we're when we're happen. tired is, and when we're tired we're not capable of dealing with tiredness very well. We say oh you're not supposed to be tired and we start listing our set of rules that we're supposed to be following, just like I was doing when I. I didn't wreck the car, but I knew that if I continued driving tired, that I would. And so I had to stop. That was an important point to recognize. And then I began to say, oh, wait a minute. This is the same thing that happens with students in meditation, too. That being tired is not conducive to good practice. That getting rest is what we need to do. And that, in fact, mostly if we're practicing correctly, we don't get tired because we're practicing being relaxed. Yeah, and yeah. so if we've gotten ourselves tired, that indicates that somehow or another we're not correct in practicing. That will get us tired when we're driving a car, if we've been driving a car for hours and hours, and we get tired. Whatever we're doing, we get tired of doing that. That's just the nature of the human existence. So from that perspective, we can say, OK, I've gotten myself tired. What was I doing that got myself tired? And so that I can avoid that next time. Yes. Wanting something out of meditation and not getting it is an easy way students get tired. Also, yes. not breathing well. If you're uh, we get tired when we're not breathing very well. Uh, the the mind's not getting the kind of oxygen that it that it really needs. But we also recognize from uh, science that the average human attention spans only about 20 minutes anyway. And that anything that we're doing is not going to um, be permanent that the mind gets tired. And so allowing that and forgiving ourselves for yeah, being tired. Yeah. Part so of understanding, yeah, yeah. understanding mm -hmm. how the body and the mind works, I guess. Uh, just like you want to train uh, without rest. <laughs> Forever, mm -hmm. uh, like the body needs some rest. And, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So it's part of knowing uh, how... how so knowing... Works. Knowing what's going on is the right thing to do, and to and like I said, there's a few things that we can do, but if that doesn't work, then going ahead and getting the rest that we need is what uh, is what need. the yes. correct thing to do, even if we're not following the rules of the retreat center. Um, that's the problem with rules is rules just don't uh, handle every situation. That's why we need wisdom rather than rules, because wisdom is taking care of the situation directly. Yeah, than... I've seen that in uh, in training, actually. Maybe sometime like you, you create a training uh, plan 
for for a client mm-hmm. or for yourself. And uh, so you try to follow the plan and it's going well, but maybe sometimes you're getting tired and you would have to not follow the plan in order to recover and and be even more efficient. But if you stick to the plan and, and the rules that you set yourself, mm-hmm. your uh, individual needs are not always met because the program is not changing, is not adapting to the thing you do and it's even less efficient than if you just uh, kind of like uh, we call that auto-regulate meaning you kind of uh, get feedback from your body and uh, to uh, to modify and change the, mm-hmm. the plan for the day maybe if you didn't sleep at night you cannot follow the plan and, and put the same weight and stuff absolutely <laughs> but that's really and yeah so driving a car tired is a hindrance Working out and doing bodily things, being tired is a hindrance. Also, correct practice of Anapanasati, getting tired, that's a hindrance. But a lot of the students say, oh, well, I'm tired, that doesn't mean anything. Let me push the tiredness away and practice correctly. No, if the tiredness is there, we need to deal with the tiredness. If we get tired, then we need to do something about it to come untired. Breathing, taking a break, going on a walk, rubbing our limbs, stimulating, and if none of that works, then taking a nap would be the correct practice. So, um, and forgiving ourselves for being tired. In fact, we can say, oh, I'm too tired now. I don't have to do anything. That in fact, that attitude begins to be correct practice. The correct practice when you're tired is to enjoy being tired. Because when we really are tired, that's when we really can relax. If we let ourselves just completely relax. And if I need to lay down to relax, that's okay. The important thing is to stay relaxed rather than continuing to work when we're tired because we're not supposed to be. The bell hasn't rung yet or something. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> so these are the hindrances that we can start to pay attention to, including tiredness, and recognize that, all oh, I can make whatever's happening to my best advantage. That anything is happening, I can improve that right now. Then instead of uh, being tired and hating it, I could be tired and love it. We come back to that nurturing state. That's what we're looking for is to come back to being in a state of nurturing. To gladden the mind in that way. So. Um, that's the, that's the basically you already got it with the tiredness. I think you 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 understand that. Do you have any other questions? I'm sure that you got several. Um, well, so, so that's part of uh, knowing the, um, the dukkha, right? Um, that's the knowing what? of the dukkha. To know that tired is not dukkha, but tired and not liking it—that's dukkha. Yeah. Tired and wanting to do something other than being tired is dukkha. But tired and knowing that you're tired and allowing yourself to be tired and, and put yourself into a state of relaxation to recuperate, 
That's not dukkha. So this knowledge thing that we were talking about is, is that if all we need to do is to have correct knowledge of dukkha, and that correct knowledge is also the knowledge of what to do about it. What is the right effort for whatever is going on? See, it's like experience, like um, experience of the, the of this process. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and so the the goal, the, I mean the yeah the point of doing this practice is um, like uh, getting like uh, realizing every time you create dukkha for yourself what you did and how you did it, so you don't have to do it uh, again. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. That you probably heard that some of them talk about um, in the Mahasi method. Steps six, seven, eight, nine, and ten have to do with uh, fearfulness, misery, disgust, anguish, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a strong desire to get out. And in Western um, uh, Buddhism, this is referred to as a dark night of the soul. Yes. Another way of talking about this is hitting rock bottom, which is the way that it's talked about in AA and other things like that. Basically, what we're talking about hitting rock bottom means that finally, after all, the student can finally see the dukkha. The alcoholic can't see the dukkha as he's going down, but once he gets to a certain point, which is called rock bottom, is when he crash lands. Mm. So you can imagine then that the airplane pilot, he can see that the plane is in a nosedive, but he doesn't recognize the danger until he hit the plane, until the, the plane hits the ground. When he's hit rock bottom, there's where the danger is. But if he is wise, he can see that his plane's in a tailspin and he can do something about it before he hits the ground. This is the real teaching of the Buddha. The real Anapanasati is to be able to get good at seeing little dukkhas so that we can avoid them without having to uh, hit rock bottom with a great big dukkha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah. seeing the subtle, uh, um, the subtle like uh, hindrances. And... Right, the little ones. That's where we begin to get good at it. Um, here's a here's an, an example of that. P two people are in a great big argument. When does the argument end? The argument ends when one of the other people recognize that this is going nowhere. This yeah, is yeah. a bad idea that are uh, even I've gone too far. And often those kind of arguments end with someone slamming the door on the way out or making a noise as they leave. Alright, to, to show their unsatisfactoriness. Now here's the point. If no one sees the dukkha in the argument, the argument will continue until someone does see the dukkha, even if that's the point of violence. Once the guns come out, once the knives come out, then people can see the dukkha, but that's not also true. Sometimes people wind up trying to bury a body, and that's when they recognize the dukkha. Maybe you have gone too far. <laughs> when they yeah, have yeah. gone way too far. Okay, yeah, yeah. so now we can say, all right, well, if I'm going to see the, the argument as a dukkha, how soon can I see the argument as a dukkha? 
Can I say it as soon as I get into the argument, this is going no place? Why should I argue with someone for 10 minutes before I get my gun out? Yeah, and then maybe you can yeah. see it like even when you just feel triggered, uh, like in yourself before you interact and stop uh -huh. that right away. Yeah. Knowing that arguments almost always have a bit of anger and frustration built in them, how soon can I see the anger and the frustration? In other words, if I even start to make one loud noise, if I get loud one time, should that not be enough for me to be able to see the dukkha? Mm. Or if I start to put my hand on that hot stove and I begin to feel the warmth as my hand gets close to it, I don't have to put my hand all the way on that stove. Yeah. to feel the dukkha okay so this is what we're getting at is is that can we begin to see the dukkha early can we see the way that things are headed well guess it's what <laughs> this yeah. is an excellent definition of the word wisdom is to see where things are going see which way things are headed and a good example of that uh, because it's so clear, not because it's uh, uh, a good example otherwise, but on a gun range or when hunters are out hunting, where those guns are pointed is important. In other words, if the, uh, an officer has his gun in his holster, it's pointed to the ground, it's not dangerous. If he pulls that gun out of the holster, it's dangerous now. You got to start watching where he's pointing that gun. This happened to me when I was a teenager. In fact, I was only about 14 or so when I learned this lesson because some old man had come to the hunt with with us. Um, <clears throat> and he was carrying a double barreled uh, 12 gauge shotgun and he had it over his uh, arm uh just hanging down and as he was walking around that gun was pointing at various knees and the people who had those knees did not like the fact that that guy was not mindful of where his gun was pointed later i got that from uh some other students they said yeah they've been on gun ranges and that's the important thing which what you don't point that gun in any willy-nilly way you make sure that you know which way that gun is pointed all the time because if it goes off, the bullet's going to go in the direction of uh, the barrels where it's pointed, right? So we can use that now as a very excellent method of understanding what wisdom is, is looking where things are going. We don't know where that bullet is going to actually hit or when the gun's going to go off, but we do know which direction the barrel is pointed, and that's wisdom. Mm -hmm. is to keep track of how things are going, which is the way things are pointing. And if we can see that, then now we're beginning to get really good at seeing dukkha because we can see the way things are pointing, which way things are headed. Uh, you can you can do that with another person in the sense that you use one word and they get a great big scowl on their face. Don't go in that direction anymore. Let's make a change. So this is the way that we begin to understand it is, is that the real wisdom is then seeing which way things are headed, not a whole bunch of knowledge, not a whole lot of information, not a whole lot of books full of suttas or math or anything else, but rather 
real wisdom is just looking at how things are, the circumstances, how they're headed. An example would be when you're tired driving a car, we should automatically see, hey, I should park this thing while I'm still awake enough to be able to park it. <laughs> because otherwise, I'll tell myself, oh, I can drive and still be tired. And that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. All right, so, just so we can... the, the things in advance. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. All right, that's really like observation, like, uh, yeah, and knowledge of, uh, of the science leading to, to mm -hmm. do that. Um, right, so we can we can apply that in our practice when we're in seclusion and recognizing these kind of thoughts. If I go down that path, that's dangerous. <laughs> Let me not go down that path. Let me, let's stop thinking about that email and, and come back to the present moment. Thinking about that is dangerous. And as we begin to develop that skill of wisdom while we're sitting, we can also begin to develop that when we're around other people, when we're not in seclusion. And we can begin to see how things are headed so that we can straighten it out. Yeah, and I guess the, I, I noticed that the more I, um, I do it, when I feel very awesome, very uh, glad, um, and uh, just like something very subtle happens, I can immediately feel the like the little bit of uh, drop in satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And so that uh, that uh, allows me to 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 ask myself more easily, oh, what did I do? Like, <laughs> how did I uh, get less satisfied right now? And then mm -hmm. I uh, can see it more than when I'm just like full of mm -hmm. because there is like a, a sign. Uh, more like um, I can feel it. So precisely, yes. This is why the teaching of the Buddha on Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, that first noble truth, that's the big doozy. That's it. Now, a lot of people in the West, they misunderstand. They think that all oh, life itself is Dukkha. Well, life itself is not Dukkha. We all love to be alive. That's the very, very best thing about any kind of existence is that you know that you exist. And so being alive, that's not a problem. Dukkha is not life itself. But um, also uh, in that regard, other people will say that, uh, that the Buddha teaches that Dukkha is inherent in things, like the world, that the world is dangerous. No, that's not the case. Uh, the world itself is not inherently Dukkha. All Dukkha has a particular cause, greed, ill will, and delusion. And if there's no greed, ill will, and delusion, then there's probably no dukkha heading our way. So we can't say that uh, the dukkha is inherent. It's uh, because we don't see what's going on. Here's a good example. They, they talk about this stuff, and, and even in the um, legal documents, they talk about an act of God, like, oh, we're not going to pay for your fire insurance because your house burned down because it was an act of God. Lightning hit it. And therefore, we don't have to pay you or a tsunami or whatever like that. And that um, 
one of the th- there was a big tsunami, by the way, in December 2004 here in Thailand. Yeah, yeah. And and that one of the big issues about it that was quite remarkable is the animals in Phuket, especially the elephants, started acting very, very strangely. That the yeah, that yeah. in fact the elephants broke loose from their moorings and their chains. And the animal trainers followed them right up into the into the hills. There was also part of the story is that there was an elephant that was up there with his trainer in the hill and the trainer wanted to take him back to the base. The elephant would not go. He was very, very slow. He was very trepid, you know, very slow, not wanting to go, resisting, wanting to take another path, all that kind of stuff. And after a short time of this behavior, all of the other elephants from the pack came up there with him. And, and this elephant, even with the, uh, the uh, trainer on his back, turns around and goes up the hill with the rest of the elephant. Okay, yeah. so they everybody, the, yeah, the they vibrations. could feel it in <laughs> yeah. their feet. They, yeah. could, they knew, feet, yeah. and other animals they know, but, but humans not paying any attention to what's going on. We're too busy thinking about all of our problems to not mm-hmm. recognize that the whole ground is shaking up from shaking under us. Up. We need to go to a high ground. Okay. So here's where we can say that it's not the tsunami that was Dukkha. That when when uh, Phuket got wiped out from that and all those people died, it wasn't the tsunami that killed them. It was their ignorance. If they had been as smart as elephants, they'd have headed for the hills. Yeah. It yeah. was not the the tsunami that was dukkha it was ignorance of the tsunami that was the dukkha not seeing it okay so that's why dukkha is uh that's why we talk about wisdom is being able to see the dangers before it gets there so that we can do something in advance we can take a hike we can go up the hill with the elephants we don't have to stand on the shore and get flooded like uh, earlier and earlier like every time you get uh like better at the practice you can recognize even earlier right precisely so and what do we mean by that earlier is now we're looking at it in the sense of petitu samupada and you you probably heard or at least i'll tell you now that there we have to know it forwards and backwards forwards it's taught forward so that we can see that this causes that causes this causes that but that's a sequence in time that this happens before that and then that happens before the next thing so how we practice Paticca Samuppada is not in forward order. We yeah. practice it in reverse order. What did and, I think about that uh, made me do this? And yeah, mm-hmm. that you retrace the, the dukkha, right? Right. So the beginning student, the first thing that he has to learn is this is dukkha. He's in it. <laughs> And then later he begins to see, oh, this is the cause of dukkha. This is how I wind up in that state. And that's when we're at the level of um, uh, the woeful states and uh, upadana and clinging. And then as we get better at it, we wind up saying, oh, it's not the clinging and it's not the dukkha. It's the fact that I feel my feelings of wanting something ignorantly. 
And then later we back up even further to say, oh, well, I felt that way because of the way that I thought in the first place, that my perception was wrong. If I had per if I had perceived things correctly, then I wouldn't have wound up going in the direction of my feelings taking me into dukkha. So you're exactly right. This is what wisdom is all about, is catching things earlier and earlier and seeing which way they're headed so that we can make a change. That's the entire teaching of the Buddha right there. Is quicker and quicker we can see what's going on so that we can see it through wisdom, recognize how things are headed, and make a change before they get there. We point our guns in the correct direction before they go off. Not after. <laughs> we we point our mind in the correct position so that when our mouth goes off, we don't hurt anybody. Yeah. And so this is wisdom for you. That's a really clear definition of wisdom. Can you see dukkha in advance? Can you see it as it's coming along? Before you step in, can you see that cow pie and then not step in it? Or can you see that insult flying in your direction and you stand out of the way so that it doesn't hit you? Oh, you miss me. That's not who I am. Yeah. And so the slings of arrows of outrageous fortune never hit you because you're fast enough to stand right out of the way and not get hit with it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's time to grab the knowledge and start to, to understand uh -huh. the wisdom even more. <laughs> right, start to recognize. Now I know what wisdom is. Now I know that I got to look because if I look and I can see what's going on, now I can make changes before things go south. But we practice that uh, from the very beginning by after the mind is already in hindrances, after we're already tired, after we're already messed up. Now let's look at what got us there. Yeah. So that next time when we're in that state, we don't have to go any further. We can interrupt mm -hmm. it someplace along the way. Yeah, maybe you just feel like the slight clinging and not like the, the full on um, <laughs> next level of Dukkha. Mm -hmm. And then we can, uh, it's like so more subtle, right? And then you feel like a sensation, even more like slight, maybe. Uh, and then you, so, and is this like um, an earlier step? Um, maybe we can talk about this uh, next time. Uh, like, okay. Because um, I've got to go to work and, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, Sometimes you know you you feel like a really strong Luca, and you're like your mind is, and sometimes you just feel like a, a tendency, like a, a slight react, slight emotional reaction, and, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I was wondering maybe this is like a uh, maybe this is like clinging, and then when there is the strong Luca, uh, maybe it's clinging plus the next step, you know. And uh, is the, the feeling level, uh, yeah, no, I think I know the answer. <laughs> like everything <laughs> you feel is on the feeling plane, right? The... Right. 
this the, so this is the practice is that we could see it beginning to see it quicker and quicker. We begin to notice that um, uh, if I hold my mind and pointing in that direction, that I can do damage. That I made to I need to change the mind, or change the focus, or change the direction uh, where the mind is pointed. Or like like I said with the gun, you got to watch where the gun is pointed because that's where things are going to get uh, uh, attacked when the 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 trigger is pulled and we can't tell for sure when the trigger is going to get pulled but we can keep track of which way things are pointed and so that's just an analogy for start looking at the kind of thoughts that we have because those thoughts give us the feelings and we're already beginning to change our thoughts we're beginning to see the wholesome thoughts knowing what they are and now we can begin to also see when things are uh, going in the direction of getting unwholesome, we can catch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We come back into a wholesome state. That's good. All right. Well, let's finish this conversation. I think that this has been a really interesting point about uh, just enough data. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You do not know how to test battle every rifle in the world. All we need to know is which direction is that gun pointing. <laughs> yeah, how to use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, right. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> Laura. We'll see you. Uh huh. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye bye.